We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. How, how many makers and cokes have you had? We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Titans. All right, welcome in everyone to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. Make sure you check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Head on over there for all your Titans and other Nashville professional sports coverage, Preds, Nashville SC, U.S. men's soccer team, and of course, like I said, the Titans. We are deep into draft season now, so... We are going to focus on the draft today on this podcast, but we're also still a Titans podcast. So we're going to get into Jim Schwartz hire. We're going to talk about the strength of this year's draft class as a whole. We're going to talk about the flurry of trades that have gone down and how those trades and how the quarterback centric top five, top 10 of this particular draft class affects what the Titans are going to be able to do at pick 22, assuming they stay put. So Let's get into it. I'm Justin Graver. I'm joined as always by my host, Justin Mello. How is it going, Justin? I'm doing well. As always, I'm excited to uh, cover uh, some interesting Titans news and then get into draft talk because as you know, that is what I do. We love the draft. It's only three weeks away now, so we're super deep in draft season, but that doesn't stop the Titans from going out and making a pretty big hire on their coaching staff. So the Titans have hired Jim Schwartz to be a senior defensive assistant. Jim Schwartz, of course, was in Nashville. He was part of the 2008 team that was extremely successful, started the season 10 and 0. He was Titans defensive coordinator from 2001 to 2008. He spent some time as the head coach of the Detroit Lions. He spent some time in Philadelphia, where he also won a Super Bowl in 2017 as a defensive coordinator. So What's interesting to me is that uh, he's a senior defensive assistant, so obviously Shane Bowen is the defensive coordinator. What do you make of this hire? It's interesting, you know, and and I have so many questions on this, and I wish we had more answers, but we're we're, we're never going to get answers on on this front because Vrabel's never going to tell us nothing. (laughs) No, no, Vrabel's going to tell us nothing as usual. Um, First of all, I think one thing that people have to realize here is that there is the possibility that the Titans have been looking to fill this role this offseason, right? Because I believe when, when Dean Pease took the defensive coordinator job in Atlanta, it was rumored that Vrabel had, had talked to him about being a senior defensive assistant. Well, it's the same title Jim Schwartz now holds. So it's it's, you know, on the surface, I think we have to at least think that it's possible that this is something they've been thinking about, right? They've been thinking about it since February, and perhaps just now they have found the right guy and, and, and found a role uh, for Jim Schwartz. So it's, it's interesting. My questions are, I would love to know who called for it, you know, because Mike Vrabel, as, as much as I think he's a great coach and we, and we love him, just like every other coach in the league, though, he seems to want to work with guys that he's worked with before, right? Like, of course the unwavering loyalty to Shane Bowen, um, Anthony Midget, Jim Hazlitt, when he brought in, uh, you know, Coach Combs, with, uh, who's now at Ohio State. He likes working with guys that he's worked with, Dean Pease. Yes, he's not, you know, totally, um, you know, he is open to ha- thinking outside the box. And, he, you know, he kept Arthur Smith on staff, for example, who he hadn't worked with previously and, of course, promoted him uh, eventually to offensive coordinator. And now he's promoted Tom Downing. 
Matt I'm LaFleur, too. Never worked with Matt LaFleur, but hired him as his first offensive coordinator. So, yeah, there's right, a little exactly. history there. Another one there. So, he is open to it, but certainly I think you would agree that he does like working with people he knows, right? And he prioritizes that typically. So, he's never worked with Jim Schwartz, right? And that, and that's a little interesting to me. Yes, we know Schwartz worked for the Titans before, but who's still here from that era? You know, really, for Schwartz, it's super convenient because he's got a house in Nashville still. So this is great for him, and it's probably one of the reasons he, you know, because he talked about taking a year off. I bet one of the only reasons he's even doing this is because it's so close to home, right? It's a lot more convenient for him. He's not uprooting his family all over again. So it's it's it's, it's from the Titans' perspective. Is this a Mike Rabel call? Is it a John Robinson call? Now, if it's a John Robinson call, things get a little more interesting, right? Because then you start to wonder if there, you know, if there if there could be a little friction there uh, between the two of them in regards to the Bowen hire. Now, let me make it clear. I don't think that that's the case, but it's probably worth asking the question just because, again, you know, why would Vrabel want to bring Schwartz in? I, I don't know for sure. I don't have the answer to that. So is it someone else who wanted to bring him in? On, on, on that front, I'm trying to be positive about it because I do think he's a good defensive mind. I know there are, you know, he, he's, he's been elsewhere and, and there are some other teams that maybe he wouldn't agree based on the results. But I, I, I do remember him well from his tenure here in Tennessee. I think he's obviously a smart defensive coach. And I think it could be helpful for a guy like Shane Bowen, who finally now has the title of defensive coordinator, uh, if he embraces it and they can use each other, you know, as, as a sounding board, so to speak. And, 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 and Bowen is the guy because he has to be, right? Because he's the defensive coordinator. But if they can help one another out. Now, that, that's the other part of this. How, how does Shane Bowen feel? about all this because again i promise you every nfl coach likes working with people they know it, you look on every staff in the league and it's all made up of guys that have worked together before elsewhere and yada yada shane bowen hasn't worked with jim schwartz how does he feel how he doesn't know him and there's a lot of talk about schwartz be you know how he's such a strong personality and a control freak well how does he grow into this role as a senior defensive assistant you know how does Bowen feel? He can't step on Bowen's toes because what does that start looking like in the locker room? Titans have done this before, right? There have been two instances, I want to say, where they where they had this situation. I remember, I think once was with Dick LeBeau and 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 was it uh, Ray Horton, I think? Right. And they did it once with, with Jerry Gray before. Now, the Ray Horton, Dick LeBeau situation, I don't think it went so well. If we remember correctly, when Horton left, I think there were rumors that, you know, even though, and again, remember, he had worked with Dick LeBeau several times, and I think he even played for him when he was a player. But word came out after the fact that he, he didn't like it. And I don't, you know what, that, that's not surprising, because which coach wants to have their toes stepped on, right? So, and players have talked about it. It was confusing. We didn't know who to answer to. We didn't know who to go to when we had a question. So it's very imperative that the Titans clearly define these roles and that everybody gets along and that there's no confusion from the player's perspective. It's important that Mike Vrabel knows what he's doing here. And it's important that Shane Bowen is comfortable with this and welcomes it. And it's important that Jim Schwartz understands his role as a senior defensive assistant, not as the defensive coordinator and not try to take over the room. So there are a lot of moving pieces here. I think it can work, but I also think it can go the other way. Well, you sound a lot more pessimistic than I I feel. Maybe you're just voicing the concerns more, but there is the the thing about Schwartz's personality is very interesting. Michael Kist, who everyone should be following, great does a lot of great work on all Perfect NFL guy. stuff, but especially for the uh, Eagles, right? Um, 
He tweeted, Schwartz to the Titans would be a smart hire. Gives rookie defensive coordinator Bowen somebody to lean on. Should work well for the first year until a refreshed Schwartz challenges Bowen to a bare-knuckle brawl for the position <laughs> or incites a player mutiny after a brutal campaign to undermine him. So, obviously, Kist has experience uh, covering a team that Schwartz was a part of. And um, apparently, yeah, that stuff about his prickly personality is pretty interesting. But you know what? Uh, Mike Herndon, our own Mike Herndon, wrote this for BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Some thoughts about Jim Schwartz's return to Tennessee. I think everyone should go check that out. Uh, it's online right now, free to read, so everyone should check that out. But he made a great point at the end about the the yes man, Vrabel's ego. Vrabel wants to be surrounded by yes men. Like, Jim Schwartz, absolutely not a yes man. He is going to stand up for what he believes. And I'm most interested in how they're going to mesh his scheme with what the Titans want to run. And my my inkling is Jim Schwartz is not coming in here to implement his scheme. It's more to implement, this is just my read, but it's more to implement his experience because, look, Shane Bowen was the outside linebackers coach last year in addition to being the defensive coordinator. And this is a point that, again, Mike made on his own podcast Football and other efforts you guys should be listening to every week, along with this podcast, of course. But Mike said that, you know, between series on the sideline, who's over there talking to the outside linebackers? Probably Shane Bowen, the outside linebackers coach. So who's like prepping and getting ready for what the offense, the other team's offense is doing to make defensive adjustments and get ready to call the next series? Is Shane Bowen doing them at the same time? Well, now the Titans have a legitimate outside linebackers coach. So Shane Bowen won't be talking to the outside linebackers during between defensive series. Um, he'll, he may talk to specific players when he needs to tell somebody something, but, you know, like as a group, he's not going to be their position coach anymore. He can focus on getting ready for the next defensive series. And if he was on the sideline, which I think is likely, he's going to be on the sideline where the players are, just like he was last year. Will you put Jim Schwartz in the booth and let him use his experience, like seeing what he sees reading what the other team is doing and trying to guess what at tendencies or, or seeing if he can pick up on things that he can then relay to Bowen to help him call plays that will help the, the team. And another point that Mike made that I think really sums up how perfect this, this marriage could be is when you look at what the Titans were terrible at last year, they were terrible on third down. And they couldn't get a sack. Well, during his five seasons in Philadelphia, Jim Schwartz's defense was third in the NFL in third down conversion percentage allowed and seventh in total sacks. So you, this could be a situation where we're like, hey, Jim, we have a scheme. We're a 3-4 team because Schwartz runs a very, very specific 4-3 wide nines front, which Titans fans, should, again, should be familiar with because, you know, 2007, 2008, when the team was really good at getting pressure with Vanden Bosch and Albert Hainsworth and all the guys they had at the time. Um Javon Curse, obviously, um, they the Titans ran that scheme, but I don't think that's I don't think we should expect a big scheme change here. I think we should expect the Titans to be like, so Jim, we really need to improve in these areas. We're, we we want to bring your expertise in specifically. What can we do differently? Like, go look at the tape from last year. Tell us what we're doing wrong on third downs, pretty much, because you know what, like. Vrabel, I think, is a really smart guy. He was obviously a great player. He's obviously a, a good head coach, we think, right now. I mean, we would all generally agree he's one of the better. I mean, we think he's a good head coach, right? But he was a really Absolutely. bad defense. He was a really bad defensive coordinator. I mean, that one year, Houston's defense was, I think, 32nd in points allowed. And last year, Dean p has gone. Vrabel's taken a, a bigger, you know, role in the defense with, with his little buddy Shane Bowen calling the plays. And the Titans had one of the worst defenses in the league. You know, it wasn't like... It wasn't the worst team in the league because the Titans were a playoff team and their defense was 
sometimes okay, but like it was really bad, right? So Vrabel as a defense coordinator been really bad. Bowen as a defense coordinator one year, really bad. Bring in somebody who can like be a senior defensive assistant, be an advisor on a senior role who can say, what, what you guys are doing isn't working and here's how to fix it. So I think, I mean, in my opinion, this is exactly what they need. This is exactly what Shane Bowen needs. He needs somebody that, that he can learn from, that he can mentor him while he become while he grows into this role as defensive coordinator. So I'm I, as a Titans fan, I think you should be ecstatic about this hire. I do think there's a possibility in a year or two or three that there is a big blow up, a personality fight, whatever. But you know what? We'll borrow from two years happiness for today's happiness. <laughs> Right. And one thing I want to touch on there that that you said, I fully agree. And, and looking back on it, it, we really should have criticized it more at the time. How many staffs in the league have a defensive coordinator pulling double duty as a position coach? Oh, I, mean, I it, can't it, imagine. Is there any? Is there any? Is I there know, any? Mike, Mike there, are head, there are head coaches who call the defensive plays that are head coaches. Yes. But- Position coaches? Position I mean, that's coaches? a totally different responsibility. It doesn't make any sense that they ever put themselves in that situation. And I know he didn't have the defensive coordinator title, blah, 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 but it doesn't make a difference. He was he was the defensive coordinator last season. And to have him also being a – it doesn't make any sense. So that's one thing. And this keep in mind, this is outside of Jim Schwartz, right? This doesn't, Jim Schwartz has no impact on this whatsoever. I do like the fact that they hired an outside linebackers coach or – promoted someone i think is what they did to that position yeah, they did yeah. I, I, and, and took that off shane bowen's plate it doesn't make any any sense to, to have that be the case and look i don't want to say that i'm more pessimistic about it but I, I you know as as you said but i think i do think we have to account for the possibility and personality blow up because it's so easy to just look at this on the surface and say he's a brilliant mind it's an you know because he he's a smart guy he is i agree with that and i and he's not coming in here to implement his scheme again i agree with that as well he's he's going to be a sounding board and he's going to help and they need help it looks like right based on how they coached last season but uh, I, I do think it's an underrated aspect of this hire and it, it's it's something that fans probably don't always account for but, uh, it, you know, it's, it, it, we do have to think of the logistics about it and how it's going to go in the locker room and how these personalities are all going to get along because there is potential there uh, for it to go poorly. Sure, yeah, I agree. I do agree. But I think overall when you're looking at Titans fans who were so upset when Shane Bowen was announced, the team as a corner is like, throw this defense in the trash. What's the point of the season? Like, just take a deep breath and understand that this team – knows like they didn't sit there last year and go what's everyone so mad about our defense was good like they know it wasn't good <laughs> right which and look at the personnel overhaul right they've overgone on that side exactly so speaking of personnel overhauls that is what the draft is all about right we are gonna get into the draft now let's start by talking about some things that have happened in the last week or two trades galore so the Niners are coming up. They've come up from the number 12 pick to number three for some future thirds and firsts and whatever. It doesn't matter because we're talking about this year's draft. We don't care about the Niners. They came up to number three. The Dolphins moved back to 12. And then the Dolphins said, you know what? We don't want to be at 12. We want to come back up. So the Dolphins come back up to six, trading with the Eagles. So now the Eagles are at 12. The Eagles apparently said, we can't get Zach Wilson at six. We'll go back. Um, which I guess is that's the rumor now is that Zach Wilson won't be there at three or six or who the heck knows what. So the Dolphins are at are at six. The Eagles are at 12. 
That's the first big move. And then, more recently, the Jets have traded quarterback Sam Darnold to the Panthers. So Sam Darnold's on the move. So we got quarterbacks on the move. I want to ask your thoughts. A, we'll get to how all this impacts the Titans in a second, but I want to ask your thoughts about these quarterbacks because it just seems crazy to me that Mac Jones is going to be the number three pick. Like, we're all moving forward now as a, as a media cabal. We're all moving forward now saying, like, with this assumption that it's going to be Lawrence one, Zach Wilson two, and then Mac Jones third. Do you agree with that, that that's going to happen, or do you think it's crazy, or what's up? Maybe I'm naive because I, I know there are a lot of people saying that that's going to be the case. And I think I think Adam Schefter even may have alluded to it recently, and, and no one's going to question how plugged in he is. I, I just I, I can't wrap my head around the fact. I, I, I do not think that Kyle Shanahan would, would part with all that draft capital to come up to number three and take Mac Jones. I just – no disrespect to Mac Jones – I, I, I understand why he's going to go in the first round because of, you know, the value that we put on quarterbacks. But when I'm looking at this draft class, I, I, I cannot draft Mac Jones before Trey Lance or Justin Fields. That's just my personal evaluation of it. Maybe I'm looking at this all wrong. When I watch Mac Jones on tape, I see a really smart player. I think his mind is probably his best asset, his best attribute because he doesn't make mistakes he reads coverages at a high level. He protects the football, and he's very, he's very safe with the ball, and he knows where he's going. But let's be honest. Doesn't that kind of sound like we're trying to say nice things about him? Because when uh, it comes to the physical tools. That's funny because like, I was going to say it sounds like Justin Fields' evaluation. Like, Justin Fields does all those things you just said well. And he's a phenomenal athlete. I mean, Justin exactly. Fields projects the football. He's only threw, what, eight interceptions or something like that? He, he's very accurate. He reads coverage as well, which you can identify by that interception stat. I mean, if you don't read coverages, you're going to throw more interceptions. Well, So anyway, I just, like, I haven't studied, studied the quarterbacks in this class because I'm focusing on the Titans, and Titans aren't drafting a quarterback. But personally, I agree. How is Mac Jones being rated above Justin Fields? And you know what? Maybe they got on the whiteboard. And Justin Fields like couldn't do what they wanted, and Mac Jones was perfect. And they were like, you know what? This is our guy. I don't care about the physical attributes. Like we want the next Tom Brady, or who the heck knows what. But like- right, there could be things we don't realize here. And they do say he's a terrific leader, and I and I believe that part of it as well. I I just for me, no knowing, you know, I just have so much respect for Kyle Shanahan. I think he's one of the most brilliant offensive minds in this league. I think he's one of the best head coaches in this league. I just can't wrap my head around him, you know, pounding the table for Mac Jones over a Justin, even a Trey Lance. I'll be honest with you. We talked about Justin Fields there. My first thought when the trade happened was it's Trey Lance. And I still have this feeling. I don't know that Kyle Shanahan's going to love Trey Lance. So we'll see. I, I don't think anything is set in stone. Certainly. As soon as I heard of the trade, I sent a text you know, for, for, for S's and G's, if you will. I sent a text to, to someone in Trey Lance's camp said, I heard, hope, hope he likes the weather in San Fran. Cause <laughs> that was my first thought. It's going to, it's got, and I didn't, I'm not pretending I didn't have any special insight into it. It's just what I felt is going to happen. I still feel that way. Uh, I might be naive, but I still think it's Trey Lance. 
And it was just a gut feeling that I have knowing Kyle Shanahan and knowing the scheme that he likes to run and watching, you know, what a brilliant offensive mind he is. I get the impression that he watches a guy like Trey Lance on film and says, give me this guy. I can do things with this guy, this guy. And, and, and if they keep Jimmy, which apparently they might, then Trey's a guy that makes he can sit down for a year or two behind Jimmy because he's, you know, again, he's a little mm-hmm. raw, didn't get to play in 2020. Uh, it's coming from a smaller program. So it might make it, it might be a good fit, you know, if they're keeping yeah. Jimmy too. So for me, again, call me crazy. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I can't wrap my head around it, but I still think it's Trey Lance. So let me hit you with a crazy trait, uh, crazy, sorry. Let me hit you with a crazy theory here because so I was listening to the ringer NFL podcast, which is a great show, which you should listen after you've listened to all your Broadway podcasts. You should go check that one out. Um, and they were talking about how jets general manager, Joe Douglas is keeping things like they they know people who know people in the Jets and it's they're saying that Joe Douglas is not telling anyone his plan including Robert Sala including anyone so we're all working off this assumption that Zach Wilson is going number two overall and therefore the Niners have nothing to hide they are they have no reason to hide who they want because everyone knows it's going to be Lawrence number one and Wilson number two and this this Wilson to, to number two thing seems to have somewhat come from the report about the Eagles knowing that they weren't going to get Zach Wilson, which is why they're comfortable moving back because they knew he'd be gone by three. So it's like, where is it, where is this information actually coming from? I think there could be some smokescreen, like crazy levels of smokescreen going on here. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that this is all some crazy ploy by Shanahan and, and the Niners organization to try to get Zach Wilson at number three by talking up Mac Jones so much and building him into this quarterback. I mean, again, like you said, no disrespect to Mac Jones, but it could be one of those situations where, because like, I want to say when Baker Mayfield went first overall, nobody was expecting that until the week of the draft. And then suddenly it was like, Baker Mayfield's going number one. And we were like, oh, really? And then it was like, I hope he does go number one. That'd be more fun. Well, let's let's see if Baker goes number one. And then he ended up going number one overall. And with Kyler Murray, it was like, Kyler Murray's going number one. We know that. And he went number one, and it was like, we knew that all along. So what's this year going to hold? Is it going to be one of those years where it's like, well, we knew the top three picks for um, over a month before the draft? I don't, like, personally, I don't think so. I think with, it's going to be, I think we're all going to be shocked on draft night. I think Trevor Lawrence will go number one. And then honestly, who knows from there? You know, it's funny because I can't think of a lot, you know, I guess it's why not, but I can't think of a lot of reasons why the jets would want to put, you know, need to play the card so close to the chest. I mean, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going one, no one's jumping you, right? I mean, Jacksonville is not moving away from one. So you're, you're getting your guy. Cause you know, your guy's not Trevor Lawrence. It's not going to happen. So you're getting your guy. So I do find it interesting that that's come out of the organization or as, 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 you know, sort of making its rounds, but you know, as much as I get a gut feeling that it's Trey Lance at three and I'm kind of going the other way there, I'm not going the other way on number two. I think it's Zach Wilson. I think it's who the jets want. Uh, you know what? Part of me, I hope it's not because that would be fun, right? We'll all gasp yeah. on draft day if it happens to be someone else, because we're all expecting Zach Wilson at this point. Uh, but I still think it is Zach Wilson. I'll, I'll be shocked if it isn't. And then San Fran, uh, that, to me, that's still where the draft starts. 
because I'm not convinced it's Mac Jones. I, I do think, of course, Justin Fields should be in the conversation as well. I think Trey Lance, again, should be there. So it's going to be really interesting to me. But it, it would be a, nice, a very nice surprise on draft night if it's not Zach Wilson at two. I agree. And and let me go on the record right now and say I also think it will be, but I, I hope to God it's not. All right, let me ask you now, because we're talking about all these quarterbacks. There's five quarterbacks that people expect to go as as high as the top 10 possibly that those being Lawrence Wilson Mac Jones uh Trey Lance and Justin Fields. So those five guys are apparently all elite quarterback prospects, right? To the point where a team could trade up into the top 10 to take the fifth best quarterback in the draft and feel good about it, right? So that's the kind of class we're dealing with here. I want to I want to know your thoughts about how that affects the strength of the like elite of the class here with the Titans sitting at 22. Obviously, it pushes other players down the board who would normally be in another draft year be gone. The Titans are at 22, so that is kind of the fringe range of like where in a normal year the elite players are gone, but in this year maybe they start sliding. Do you think John Robinson, do you think this has any like this could this could influence John Robinson to trade up a few picks if one of these elite players like a Devonte Smith for example or somebody starts to fall I don't know you know that he can afford to trade up I think it depends on where you're trading up and what you're giving up because I I do think unfortunately that they need uh, those mid-round picks, you know, they, they've got more than one hole and, and they've got to address them in the second round and, and, and especially with those two picks in the third round, in my opinion. So if you can, you know, if you're moving up a couple spots and it only takes a, a swap of fourth round picks, for example, or, or something of that nature, then I think that absolutely makes sense. But if you have to part with one of those third round picks, for me, that would be a real tough pill to swallow based on some of the other holes that they have on the roster. But as you said, the easy answer to this is is it's, it's great news for them. They should be thrilled that absolutely five quarterbacks are going to go. I think we should feel comfortable guaranteeing that, that five QBs are going before the Titans come on the clock at 22. That's a great thing. That means right now, if you're John Robinson, you can, you know, ignoring those QBs, you build a big board of your top 17 non-QBs in this draft, and you're guaranteed to come away with one of them at 22. Right. That's the way it works. And you got to feel good about that because, hey, every year, if you're a team that doesn't need a QB, then you're cheering for all of them to go push that talent down the board. Let me get a better guy at 22. It'll be interesting to see what's available there, because after I think we see this run on quarterbacks and I do think all five of them are going top 10. As much as I've kind of discredited Mac Jones on this episode, I still think he's going top 10 somewhere. I don't, I don't know where, but I do. I think and, and if he goes third, I still think Trey Lance and Justin Fields are going top 10. I think all five of them are going top 10. That's a good thing. Let let that happen push talent down the board. And after that happens, I really think we're going to see a run on offensive linemen, right? And that's where things can get interesting for Tennessee. Because I think, of course, uh, the Oregon kid is going early. Uh, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, he's going early. I think Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech is going early. I think Sam Cosme from Texas is going early. I think Elijah Vera Tucker from USC is going to be in that top 20 conversation as well. We've talked about Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. I think there's a good chance he's a first-round pick. So there's there's so many offensive linemen. I think you're going to see a bunch of them go in this first round. So that's another thing. Do they want an offensive lineman? If so, 
Do they have to move up in order to get their guy? Or is there so many of them that they're comfortable with that they feel good about staying at 22 and seeing the board fall to them? If they don't want an offensive lineman, then it's still a good thing that you're going to see so many of them go, right? Because then, again, it starts pushing the corners down the board. It starts pushing the receivers down the board. It starts pushing the edge rushers down the board. So things are, things are going to get really interesting for the Titans on draft night. So just for a little bit of context, when we talk about trading up from the number 22 pick, in 2018, the Titans traded up from 25 to 22, where they took Rashawn Evans, and they gave up their fourth-round pick, which was number 125 overall, in exchange for a sixth-round pick, which was 215 overall. So they slid back 90 spots from the fourth round to the sixth round to come up three spots in the first round. If that, the that's, Titans, that, that, that's a steep price, in my opinion. That is a steep price. I agree. That is a steep price. I mean, if it's not swapping fourth. It's not 30 picks you're moving here. It's not going from the third to the fourth. That's 90 picks. It's like almost three rounds worth. Um, the Colts pick at 21. Titans pick at 22. Colts need a tackle or two, maybe. I could see a situation where if the Titans really do want a tackle, they have to jump Indy to get the guy they want, and that could make the cost more expensive. So I kind of would lean towards, look, we were having a discussion in the group chat today. And I'm sitting there going, look, we all talked about how we need, the Titans need to sign defensive players and draft offensive players. But now we're talking about drafting an offensive tackle and nobody wants to draft an offensive tackle in the first round. And somebody else said like, well, look at how much better the offense was when Jack Conklin left. How, how valuable is that right tackle? And I'm like, well, you can't compare them because Tannehill was a starter and you have Derrick Henry playing at a high level and you got A.J. Brown and Corey... Oh, now I get it. The skill position players were way better and the offense got way better. And it didn't matter that the offensive lineman on that right tackle spot got worse. Right. So now I'm thinking, hmm, value wise, that right tackle in the first round actually doesn't make sense when you think about the fact that the offense really got better when the skill position players got better. And if you can get the fourth best wide receiver at pick 22, or the sixth or seventh best offensive tackle, or the third best corner, that might, I mean, to me, you know, you, you need to replace Corey Davis's production. We've talked a lot about Rashad Bateman at pick 22. I still think he makes a lot of sense there. I saw a comparison today. Someone compared him to Stefan Diggs. I think that, I mean, obviously that's like his elite ceiling. You hope that he can be that one day, but think about adding Stefan Diggs to Titans offense. I mean, like, obviously you would do that over over adding Jack Conklin back, right? Or what, what would you do? Let's say it's between those two guys, just for random example. Like, that's the hopeful ceiling that your pick, first-round pick, turns into. Which guy would you rather have? Uh, see, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I do agree with you that I would take the receiver in that scenario all day long. But I think one thing that you're maybe not accounting for and that it's easy to forget is I don't think John Robinson will agree with you because I don't think it's as simple as saying, well, look how much better the offense got when Jack Conklin walked and yada, yada. Because John Robinson didn't think that because he went and drafted Isaiah Wilson in the first round. He went to go get a tackle in the first round. And he's drafted Jack Conklin. He's drafted two right tackles in the first round in, in what's you know not so long of a tenor yet in Tennessee. And he assigned Killer Lewand. I'm sorry? Yeah. 40% of drafts, he's spent a first-round pick on a right tackle. He hasn't spent 40% of his first-round picks because he had two one year. 
and that might and that might be about to bump up even 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 higher right if he goes right tackle (laughs) again so i don't i don't i I think the scenario doesn't matter all that much because i feel comfortable saying that he wouldn't agree with you because he's done those two things he's drafted those two guys he also gave terry luan a boatload of money which was of course the right decision but look how much he's invested in the tackle position right he just went out and i know he didn't spend a lot of money but he went out and made sure he got two more Uh, tyson brayles a re-signing so maybe he doesn't count but he kept him and he went to go out and get kendall lamb Right. So I, I, he obviously sees the tackle position as one that's very important, as he should. It is one of the most important positions in football. So where I agree with you that I, and I would like to see them take a receiver before they take a tackle. And you know that I've been pounding the table for potentially it being a receiver at 22. And, you know, everyone listens to this show knows that I'm a big Rashad Bateman fan. So I agree with you in that sense. But I don't think John Robinson would. Yeah, I actually ultimately do agree, but counterpoint, he did spend the number five overall pick on a wide receiver, and just general draft strategy value would tell me that the fifth pick on a wide receiver is never going to be a great move unless you're getting Jamar Chase there, and obviously Corey Davis is a fine player, but he's, I mean, he's not, he's not Julio Jones, you know, so, um, yeah, that that's true, but he also traded up into the top ten to take a right tackle in his first draft as the general manager, so, he obviously values both of those positions. I think what is ultimately going to be the case regardless is that I do think the Titans are going offense in the first round. And I know cornerback is a huge position in need, and and obviously you need edge players. But just based on the way that, that free agency has gone, it seems to me like they wanted to bolster that defense with veteran free agents, and they want to attack the offense. They let Jonu Smith walk. They let Corey Davis walk. So I'm thinking they want to restock offense with draft picks. Is that a crazy theory? I don't think it's a crazy theory. And, and I, I'm, I'm mostly inclined to agree, but I, I, I do think it's a decent possibility that it's a corner. So I, I can't say with certainty. I think it, what you're saying makes sense. They added Bud Dupree. They added Dina Kowatri. They added Jack Rabbit Jenkins. I might be forgetting a guy or two, but they've added Johnson. So, (laughs) so look, they added two cornerbacks. So I know they lost two cornerbacks also, but like, and I know like we think Kevin Johnson is not going to be a great player and is not going to contribute a whole lot. And we think Janoris Jenkins is old and, and could break down at any moment, even if he is, was still playing at a high level last season. But what if they, what if Rabel's like, we can make it work with these corners. I mean, I think those are your starting corners this year. I mean, even if they draft someone in the first round, week one, 2021 at least, you know, like Christian Fulton was, was I guess he played early and he got a pick against Jacksonville, but that was mostly because of Dory Jackson got hurt like a day before the season started, right? So, I mean, I don't think Weber wants to roll a rookie out into his complex defense that was so bad last year that, I don't know, I'm obviously just completely speculating here, but I think, yeah. I mean, I think cornerback is going to be drafted but I think you're looking at second, third round for your corner. I mean, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to see through the muck here and look at what the team's trying to do because obviously we have no idea, but I don't know. And, that, and, and it's fair. You bring up a lot of fair points. I, I, again, I, I do think it's more likely that it's an offensive player because I do think it, it, it can be a receiver or tackle. Uh, but I, I just can't rule out the possibility that it's a corner or even an edge guy. I don't think it'll be an edge guy. But if I was making a list of positions and I'm ranking them one through, let's say, five of which position it's going to be, I'd, I'd probably put edge at fourth on my list. So that tells me it's, it's high enough that I'm not ruling it out. Now, where I think, for example, that tight end 
may be a bigger need than edge. It's not going to be a tight end at 22 because there's not going to be one there worth taking that high. So for me, I think I'm going, it's either a wide receiver, it's either a tackle, it's a corner, or it's an edge, right? And I think so. Is that your is that your order of likelihood in your opinion? Yeah, I think so. I'll go receiver, tackle, corner, edge. I think those are the four uh, most likely. And I think that's an order of where, and you know, it's funny if I had to put a fifth in there again, as much as they need a tight end, it's, it's certainly not going to be a tight end. Yeah. Uh, I I would put, you know, and, and I don't, (laughs) I'm not saying I agree with it, but I would put inside linebacker there Mm. at fifth. Cause I do think that they're going to like Zaven Collins. And when I think of how John Robinson, we saw him working with Zaven at the pro day, right? I mean, how many times yeah. you see John Robinson throw the pads on and start, you know, working with prospects at pro day. That, that was really something. I know he's done it before and he used to coach linebackers way back in the day, but that was something I think they're going to like Zaven. And when I think of, I don't think they're in a situation where they can prepare for the future. And I say that because I think it's unfortunate that I, I do think they have to fill some immediate holes but John Robinson does like preparing for the future, right? Both of your inside linebackers are on one-year deals right now. Rashawn Evans, Jayon Brown, contract years. That's the only reason. I would Zayvon Collins, I think, being a guy that probably gets drafted in the 20s, knowing that he's met with the Titans virtually, knowing that they attended the pro day, not just they didn't send an area scout. John Robinson was down there. He's working with them. So I'd put inside linebacker as the fifth likeliest position to be drafted there. Yeah, I agree. I was thinking maybe defensive tackle, like a Christian Barmore or something. But when you said inside linebacker, I went, ah, you know what? That is probably fifth for me. So I agree with your order exactly. Wide receiver, then tackle, then corner, then edge, and then, yeah, inside linebacker. So that's that's interesting because when we talk about the positional strengths of this year's particular draft class, I mean, those top three, those top three, I mean, we rule out quarterback, which is obviously going to, I mean, we expect to be an elite class. We've never had, there's only twice in the NFL history of NFL draft history has the first three picks been a quarterback and never have the first four picks been a quarterback. So if Atlanta, Bart Smith takes his quarterback of the future, or if they trade out to Denver or New England, someone comes up and takes Lance or Fields, then that'll be a first time ever. But so ignoring the quarterbacks. So we say wide receiver tackle corner are the three most likely positions the Titans will draft in the first round. Is that how you would say the positional strengths of this year's class shapes out? Shakes out. It's it's interesting you say that because I do think receiver is obviously an, an an incredibly deep class, incredibly deep. It rivals last year's class, and if you were, if you remember as far back last year, and no, it, you never stopped hearing about what a historical class it was, and it's going to be that way, right? I think it will be. We've seen the way Justin Jefferson produced in year one. I think some of those other rookies are going to catch up this year uh, in year two, guys like Judy, guys like maybe Ruggs, and certainly Lamb in Dallas, but I do think this class is every bit as good as last year's class, and I think the tackle class is unbelievable. I think this year's tackle class is a lot better than last year's tackle class. That's just my opinion. I think you got a lot more first-round worthy guys here. It's incredibly deep. I love some of the second and third-round guys. I mean, maybe they'll go in the first, but guys like Alex Leatherwood, Dylan Radon, Spencer Brown, Walker Little. There's just, and I mentioned a bunch of guys that I think are going in the first round. So there's so much depth there at the tackle class. It's it's really exciting. Guys like Dante Smith on day three excite me out of ECU. Here's a here's a name for you that you've probably no one's listened to this probably ever heard, but Larnell Coleman, tackle from Massachusetts. He's got the longest arms in the draft, and that matters. 
you know, Steve, Steve Carrick, who's a wonderful NFL agent. He had a comment on Twitter the other day that really, really caught my attention. Uh, he responded to a, a, a Twitter uh, draft. I can't remember who it was now, but he said that he thinks the biggest, the biggest disconnect between the way the NFL evaluates tackles and the way that we evaluate tackles in the media is that the arm length matters so much more to them than we realize. Larnell Coleman's got the longest arms in the draft, 36 inches. He's got, uh, you know, vines for arms, tackle for Massachusetts. But I'm rambling now, but it is such a deep tackle class. But then that, you know what makes it interesting then? Talk about the value that you could get there later. True. We just ranked you and I, receiver and tackle is one, two, most likely. Well, what if Don Robinson thinks, agrees, and I'm sure he does think they're both positions are super deep. I can get one later. Yeah. You have to account for that possibility. I don't think corners as deep as those positions. There are a lot of corners that I like, but I don't think it's as deep as those two positions. I don't even think it's relative. I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's even that close to be honest with you. I feel like corner is more top heavy. Like there's, yes, there's like five or six guys that everyone thinks is like going to be good. Even the, even the guys they have a second and third rounders, like Asante Samuel jr. And Elijah Molden, who's more of a right. slot, like, Everyone agrees those guys will be good, but at, but there I feel like there's a big drop off. Yes, because I, I feel like that's where the cutoff is. Mm-hmm. Now I include Eric Stokes in that conversation, as you well know. But even if you're including him, who do you include after? It's it, I feel like that's where it really becomes a roll of the dice. I like Tyson Campbell from Georgia. Yeah, I don't know how much the league likes him. I really like Trill. I mean, you've got you do have some guys. You got Aaron Robinson out of UCF who I think will probably go a little earlier than people realize. I love Trill Williams out of Syracuse. Terrific athlete, uh, incredible length. Uh, I think Afidu Milifanwu, right? Obi's brother. I I think the, but you're right, right? I think there are some guys there at corner in rounds two and three, but I do think it's a little more, it's it's certainly more top heavy than receiver and tackle is. And I think those mid-round waters are a little murky there at corner, which I, I don't think is the case at tackle and receiver. I think there's going to be a ton of talent in rounds two and three at both, especially receiver and so, and at tackle too. So that brings up another interesting conversation. I touched on it already, but the, you know, we, again, we, we rank those two positions one, two, maybe John Robinson's I can get great value there later on. So maybe I go get an edge. Maybe I get one of those top heavy corners. It's or inside it's, linebacker. I, yeah. But it, my counter there is that if you, if you, Take one of the receivers who, even even though he's the fifth best receiver in this draft, what if he would have been the third or second best receiver in another class, or even the best receiver in another class? And you're like, yeah, I know he's only the fifth best receiver in this class, but he's still going to be a top NFL talent versus waiting to get the 10th best guy in the second round who would have been the fifth best guy in another draft, right? But it, so I do think like there is still merit to going early with those guys and seeing if you can get a guy who could be elite. Because, like, last year was a super top-heavy draft class, but if the Vikings had been like, oh, man, five receivers have already been drafted, do we really want to take the sixth-best receiver here or four receiver, who, whatever however many it was, um, you know, they would have missed out on Justin Jefferson. So I think that, A, like, A, the NFL sucks at evaluating talent, as we see by Justin Jefferson, was clearly the best rookie receiver last year. Anyways, I think Jalen the fifth Rager receiver. went before him, didn't he? Uh, Jalen Rager, the Eagles drafted right before him. Uh, Henry Ruggs did nothing. Uh, Judy, obviously, like Denver's quarterback situation was terrible, but um, and Lambs too. But yeah, I mean, Je- Jefferson looks like a, a steal at 22 right now. So uh, to me, that's what I'm looking at. I mean, obviously, there are outliers, but 
I'm looking at that and saying, if it's a super good receiver class and you trust your evaluation and the guy you like is there, who cares if the league evaluates him as the fifth best receiver? If it's your guy and you think he's going to be a stud, you draft that receiver, even though it's a strong receiver group. So I think John Robinson probably operates that way. He probably says like, we're not going to do something different this year just because of this, like this, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, we have a way of doing things. We like this guy. We're going to draft this guy. It doesn't matter if it's a strong receiver group. Right. I I would agree with you. I, I don't think that, you know, Robinson's going to, I think he's going to go get his guy, right? I don't think he'll overthink it, but I do think he's very strategic and, and, and he'll let the board fall to him, you know, and he's kind of always done that. I know, you know, with Christian Fulton, I thought he did a great job letting the board fall to him. With Harold Landry, it was a bit of a mix, right? I thought he did a good job letting the board fall and then going up and, and striking, right? And because you saw him continuing to slip, okay, now it's time for me to go up and get him. So I, I can't wait. We're three, re- we're three weeks out. Um, I, I've got a lot of content on the way. Uh, yeah. Just excited to see this all unfold, you know, over this next month. And I'm excited to continue sharing uh, these conversations that I'm having with this draft class. Yeah, and overall, no matter which direction they go in the first round there, like you said, this is a good class for the Titans because all their top needs are pretty much the top strengths of this of this draft group. So that's that's pretty nice uh, position to be in randomly this year. And who knows, maybe that's why John Robinson was comfortable letting Corey Davis and walk and letting Conklin walk when he did and cutting Dennis Kelly and all those things is because he knows that this is, this is a strong tackle class, a strong receiver class. So... Obviously, we'll see what happens, but uh, anything else you want to talk about position-wise in this draft before we wrap up today's show? No, I think we can, we can leave the rest for next week because we're going we're gonna to keep up this draft talk over these next couple of weeks. I'm excited to do it. I've got some ideas. I, I do want, you know, I, I know I mentioned one earlier today, but I do want to discuss some, some guys that are maybe day three fits for the Titans from a positional standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, I got a couple guys that I've identified that I think could make some sense. So uh, I'm excited to talk draft over these next couple of weeks. We're recording this on April 8th before April 29th. Um, I will be releasing 50 more interviews with this draft class. Wow. I am talking to prospects every single day um, for, from now until April 29th and, and leading up to the day of I'll, I'll be dropping the last ones of the cycle. And then I'm going to, I got another series I'm getting into after that. I'm going to, I'll talk about that when the time comes, but uh, from, from now to April 29th, I'll be releasing 50 interviews with this class. Nice. And, and speaking of the number 50, if anyone missed it this week, your top 50 big board dropped on broadwaysportsmedia.com and people, this is not just a big board list of 50 names. This is a blurb, real evaluation about every single player on the top 50 big board. So go check it out on broadwaysportsmedia.com. Props to you, Justin, for taking the time to write all that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Now, I'm going to try to keep it up uh, with as I update the board to 100, 150. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prime the, the listeners now. The blurbs aren't going to be as long once we start getting into that 100 <laughs> range, but the, some of the blurbs at the top there are really long. I can't tell you how long it took me to, to put that post together in between editing the, all these draft interviews that I'm, that I'm doing every single day. So the blurbs are going to get shorter, but the goal is to, even for player 200, to at least give you one sentence. If you've never heard of them, 
This is why I like him. This is why he's even on my board to begin with. So we're going to see if I can keep that up or if I break my promise. But as I'm expanding the board in, in the next couple of weeks, I plan to give you something. Instead of just a name and a number, I plan to at least give you a little something on every single player on my board. And there were only a couple of typos I had to fix. So really, really, really look, look at that. Not, not, not all that bad considering all that went into it. And I'm impressed at how well you did at not like repeating, like you didn't get repetitive. You really gave a unique evaluation for all 50 guys. So well, I'm glad again. you said that. Cause I was worried. I got a little repetitive. I know I mentioned a lot of pro day results in there, but Hey, it's, it's a huge part of the evaluation, right? And it's an important aspect. And finding out how these guys are as athletes and seeing the way they test. So I know there's a lot of that in there, but I figured it's important to, to talk about. Yeah, it's good. It gives you a really good picture of each player. So head over to BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Check out that article. Check out Mike's article talking about Jim Schwartz's return. If you're into the Nashville Predators, John Glennon just dropped a piece talking about Saros's incredible saves lately and how he saved the season by being just a really, really good goalie. So check out BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Dot com. I don't watch hockey. I don't know anything about hockey. I don't even hey, know. The I as we're right. recording this, that's a good timing. <laughs> the Predators won seven one tonight. Hey, Incredible so blowout the, victory over a really that, a really bad Detroit hockey team, but seven yeah. one. Wow, what, what a result. The offense the offense has not been there for Nashville, so that's that's nice. That's quite the explosion that was tonight. All right. So make sure you guys are going over to broadwaysportsmedia.com and please also totally separate note, find this podcast wherever you're listening to it and hit that little subscribe button. Scroll down to the bottom where the rating section is and just tap the five star. And if you're really feeling nice, you could type a little comment about how much you enjoy listening to this show, if you enjoy listening to it, so that we can spread the word because the more ratings and the more reviews we get, the more we show up in those podcast algorithms under top rated shows and the more Titans fans can find us. So help us keep growing. We're gonna have a special guest on next week's episode. Not going to name any names just in case it falls through, but we are expected to have a special guest next week, former Titans player. So come back then. We'll be back every Friday, like always. BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We are the Music City Audible presented by 440 Sports. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. Stay safe out there, everyone, and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.